Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Monsters. I'm Mike. I'm Allison. And today we have our third and final question on the George A. Romero zombie trilogy. And Allison will be posing the question to me again. Okay, here's my last question about Day of the Dead. By the time Day of the Dead comes, it's already an established zombie apocalypse. All the characters are soldiers and scientists. Without the presence of everyday civilians, do you think this movie continues with a social commentary theme? Why or why not? Just to reiterate here, our first question in this theme was the 1968 Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Yesterday we did the 1978 Dawn of the Dead and today we're doing the 1985 Day of the Dead. It's interesting how each film takes place in a different decade. I don't know if that's because Romero took him a while to get funding for each film. I really don't know a lot behind that, but I'm glad that that's the case because each film really does a great job of representing the decade in which it was made. I talked a lot a couple days ago about how Night of the Living Dead is really forever cemented with not just the late 1960s, but in particular that year, 1968. And I didn't mention yesterday about how Romero chose the main setting for his film to be in a mall, which is so typical of the 1970s. I remember when that film first came out and people were saying that, oh, it's such a perfect metaphor because people, you know, when I was a kid and all these malls were opening up and people say, oh, just people are just wandering around like zombies. They're just like, want a place to go where they can walk around, you know, and just look at things. 1985 is an interesting year because we're certainly solidly in the 80s by then. And so many films in the 1980s really go out of their way. I think it was just something about the 80s to want to epitomize the 80s. When we think of Return of the Living Dead and we think of some of the zombies and the characters in that film, it's so 1980s. I mean, you've got the punk kids and you've, you know, uh, the haircuts and everything from the 80s. What I love about Day of the Dead is that Romero didn't do any of that. You can watch Day of the Dead and there's nothing, there's no fashion statement, there's no nothing in there. There's no haircuts. I mean, maybe a little bit, but he really stays away from that stuff. And so... Because of that, I feel like Day of the Dead is the one film that does not reflect the time in which it was made as well as the other two films. Now, as far as the music goes, that's different. The music, the score in that film is definitely 80s, but that's that's another topic. Maybe we'll do, I'm sure in the future we're gonna do longer episodes on these films because these are such seminal works. But to get back to the social class theme here, I feel like in some ways, this film really has the loudest statement on class. Romero does it with fewer representatives of class at the time, because in the timeline of the zombie apocalypse, we're now so far in the future that there's practically no surviving humans left. And the only reason why this group is still alive is because they've been living in a bunker and they just had enough supplies to last. And it's this cooperative effort between the military and science uh, to try to figure out a cure or try to figure out some way to stop the spread. And by now, it's just like a hopeless effort. I mean, it's like game over by now. And these people are really just playing out the last phases of their lives. But it's interesting how the military group, it just goes to show how strong military training is in the psychology of being in the military, that they're still respecting the rank and file and the soldiers know their place. They know their strengths, their weaknesses. They know what they're supposed to do. They obey orders. The scientists are really just more interested in just staying involved in their work. Now, there is a third group. There's these two guys that fly a helicopter. They're a sympathetic group. So our main protagonist is a woman this time. Romero said in an interview that he felt so bad about how he treated his female characters in the first two films that he really wanted to have a strong female character 
in the third one. Of course, this is also post-Alien with Sigourney Weaver, which kind of just reset everything when it comes to female heroes. Sarah is the name of the character, and she is very much a Sigourney Weaver, almost a Sigourney Weaver ripoff. And she's very tough. She knows how to take care of herself. But there's certain things about her character that are kind of interesting. First of all, she has a boyfriend who's one of the soldiers, and they never really explain it, but for lack of a better way of putting it, he's the wimpiest soldier of them all. She's attracted to men, but only men who are not as tough as she is. That's one way of reading it. Another way of reading it would be, well, she's looking for someone who has a softer side because maybe that's what she lacks. I don't know why Romero decided to include that, that she would be involved in a relationship. I think the movie would have been perfectly fine without that. Nonetheless, she winds up gravitating more and more towards the helicopter crew because that group of three, they're our protagonists. They're the ones who we as the viewers can identify with because the scientists, especially the main scientists who they call Frankenstein, they refer to as Frankenstein, is almost pretty much batshit crazy. I mean, he's so immersed in his work. He just, you know, he's just too zoomed in. He's socially retarded. He's just not very relatable unless you want to talk about very explicit, detailed scientific stuff. And then the soldiers are just not nice guys, especially the leader of the soldiers who has just recently taken command. And for some reason, he's like super into, it's it's almost like his lifelong dream was to take over command of this platoon as if it matters at this point. He's really the villain in this film. We could say that he's sort of like the hair Cooper of the group. You can't even go as far as saying that his decision making or anything like that compromised the group because it doesn't. I mean, basically, they're just stuck in this bunker and the zombies can't get to them. It really just winds up becoming less of a plot-driven film and more of a character study, even more so than the other two films. I mean, not that any of these films really have much in the way of plot. They're all sort of existential character-driven stories, but this one in particular, because we're almost claustrophobic down there in the tunnels and in the bunker, you can really start to feel that sort of halfway through the film, you start to realize, wow, like even if these people do survive, like what's the point? You know, it's just sort of like a horrible existence. What's ironic is by the end of the film, you start to see the zombies coming in and eventually getting into the tunnel or our protagonist being able to sneak out, which requires fighting the zombies as a better alternative. It's actually better to just fight the zombies and deal with the zombies and just get out of there, even though they were perfectly safe. It's a really interesting twist on the first Night of the Living Dead when Harry Cooper was saying, hey, the basement's the safest place, which was true. But that's just for one night. Okay, we just need to survive this night. Sure, you can hang out in the basement. But what Romero does is he takes that concept and he says, how about stay in the basement for the rest of your life? We do get to see our heroes, our protagonists, figure out a way to get out of there. And we are left with a little bit of hope. This is the first film in which we see one of the zombies actually become capable of learning. The main doctor, he comes to realize that there'll never be a cure and there's no way to kill all the zombies. There aren't even enough bullets, even if you wanted to do it that way. So he realizes the only way to deal with the zombies is to domesticate them and try to figure out how to live alongside them. So he puts all of his energy into trying to teach his favorite zombie, whose name is Bub. And Bub actually winds up, you know, remembering certain aspects of when he was human. And we could say that going back to the class stuff, he's sort of a metaphor for the working class. If there was a zombie apocalypse and in the end, all that would be left would be scientists and military, how much of a working class would be left? The idea that the zombies themselves would represent the working class. We would actually start to see tiers of classes within the zombies. So there'd be the zombies who were just 
the total mindless ones. Then there'd be the smarter zombies. I think maybe this is Romero's attempt, and he winds up doing this later on in the fourth film, Land of the Dead, where he really does take this idea further and introduces different tiers within the zombie class itself. So that's just the interesting aspect of the class stuff. Well, that's my answer to Allison's question. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with a new theme and maybe some special guests. Bye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Leave us five stars and a review. Thanks.